Hi, and welcome to a The Game Eve edition of Land Grant In Conversation. My name is Matt Timonini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On this episode, I'm in conversation with the athletic beat writer covering that team up north, Austin Meek. In our chat, we discuss the impact that Jim Harbaugh's absence will have on quarterback J.J. McCarthy, what the injury status is for a number of key players for the corn and blue who have been banged up in recent weeks, what has led to the somewhat surprising decline from all-purpose back Donovan Edwards this season, how defensive coordinator Jesse Minter will look to try to control Marvin Harrison Jr., and much more. Of course, we also get deep into the sign-stealing scandal and the subsequent fallout. Austin details how the investigation and suspension of Harbaugh have impacted both the fans and the team, and what the latter will need to do to focus specifically on the field itself, rather than the emotions of the situation. Now, before we get into all of that, if you are finding this episode somewhere other than your podcast platform of choice, we would love it if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness. You can also follow us at LandGrant33 on X, Twitter, Twitter X, Twix, Twitter, I don't know. Uh, you can follow me at BWWMatt. All right, with all of that out of the way, here is my conversation with The Athletic's Austin Meek. All right, Austin, I want to start with the player who's going to be touching the ball the most for Michigan this week, J.J. McCarthy. As we're talking here on Wednesday, I, I know you, you just kind of published an article with a number of things, but you started off talking about J.J. He has clearly had uh, two of his worst weeks of the season in the last two games. Some of that has to do with injury. Maybe some of it has to do with not having his head coach on the sideline. Maybe some of it has to do with increased competition. But as he is coming in to the rivalry game this week, where do we stand with J.J. in terms of injury, in terms of play, in terms of comfortability with Sharon Moore as, as the head coach in you know in all sense and purposes? What should we expect going into this final regular season matchup? Yeah, I think all of the factors that you mentioned are question marks for J.J. McCarthy going into this game. Is he 100% healthy? Does he miss having Jim Harbaugh on the sideline? Will he be a factor in the running game? I think all of those things are questions that I have going into this game. You know, J.J. McCarthy has had a really, really good season for Michigan. There was a point in the middle of the season where he was right on the verge of breaking into the Heisman Trophy conversation and I think playing as well as any quarterback in the country. He's cooled off a little bit. He hasn't thrown a touchdown since October 21st against Michigan State. In the fourth quarter against Penn State, he uh, appeared to have a, either a knee or an ankle injury that that slowed him down. And then against Maryland, he just wasn't a factor in the running game, which takes away a big part of Michigan's offense. And just didn't look as sharp as what we're used to seeing from, from J.J. So I, I, I do expect to see uh, the best of J.J. McCarthy in this game. I think he's the type of quarterback who plays his best in the biggest games. But there may be some limitations for him, either because he's not 100% healthy or just because uh, for J.J. in particular, I think the absence of Jim Harbaugh is is significant just because you know, Jim Harbaugh has a special bond with his quarterback and with this quarterback in particular. And I think if there's anybody on Michigan's team who 
who misses Jim Harbaugh when he's not there, it's probably J.J. McCarthy. Kind of sticking with that injury conversation, Michigan has had a couple injuries over the last few weeks, both to one of their biggest playmakers and a couple offensive linemen, which kind of got to be a little bit uh, problematic against Maryland. But where do we stand with uh, on the injury front in terms of where the Wolverines expect to have some of their key playmakers back, whether that's Roman Wilson or or some of the guys on the offensive line? Yeah. Sharon Moore sounded confident on Monday that everybody would be back, which would include Roman Wilson. It would include Ladarius Henderson at left tackle. It would include Miles Hinton, who replaced Ladarius Henderson at left tackle and then went down with an injury in the Maryland game. So it sounds like Michigan will be close to full health for this game. Uh, but I, I've, I've seen many times how there's optimism on Monday, and then you still have to wait until yeah. game day to figure out who actually is available. Uh, don't know specifically what uh, what Roman Wilson's injury was, but he definitely took a hard hit and looked looked shaken up and then was on the sideline uh, with, with the sunglasses and in street clothes. So um, I, I think that that's one of those things where we're going to have to see how the week progresses to see if he's actually available. But at least there was some optimism on Monday that Michigan would have him, and that's uh, that's a big deal for Michigan because he's been – by far their their biggest receiving threat this year he has 10 receiving touchdowns and the passing game is definitely not the same when he's not out there if perhaps roman wilson and jj mccarthy are playing but are not 100 undoubtedly as they have pretty much all season michigan will focus uh, a little bit more heavily on the running game and i think we all kind of know who blake quorum is at this point and he might not be having the year that he did last year, but still having a pretty solid year to me. And I don't follow the team nearly as closely as you do, obviously, but to me, it seems like there's been a little bit of a step backwards for Donovan Edwards, who last year was a compliment to Blake Corm. And then at times, even especially uh, against Ohio state might've even been a number one back for most teams in the country this year. It doesn't seem at least from afar that he is having that same kind of production. What has been the difference between what we've seen from Donovan Edwards in 2023, as opposed to last season? You know, there was a real thought for Donovan Edwards that after the way he played at the end of last season, after Blake Corum went down, that that could be a springboard into like an all America type season for him. And that just isn't the season he's had. He got off to a slow start, uh, didn't didn't score a touchdown in the first half of the season. His yards per carry was was way down. You know, Donovan's always been a player who has his best games uh, on the biggest stage, uh, you know, and tops on that list, obviously, is what he did last year in, in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And we've started to see a little more of that big game Donovan Edwards start to show up. I thought his best game of the season was against Penn State. And I won't be surprised if if Saturday is is his best game of the season. That's just been the pattern for him that that he plays well in big games, but the the full season he's had it just hasn't it hasn't all come together for him in the way that that maybe he'd hoped or that Michigan hoped for him. But he's the the type of player who can break one at any moment. Um, anytime the ball is in his hands, he's a threat to to go the distance. And all it takes is one or two of those plays as, as he showed last year against Ohio state to, to really change the game. Last year, in addition to Donovan Edwards running the ball last year, um, JJ McCarthy hit a number of deep passes for touchdowns and Ohio state has not 
done that at all this year. In fact, they have not given up a touchdown pass or any pass over 40 yards this entire season. While in the rivalry game last year, Michigan hit three of them. A lot of that has to do with Jim Knowles, a secondary being comfortable in that second year in the system. But it also has to do with, I think, an increased level of productivity from the defensive line from the Buckeyes. That seems to be going up against one of, I'm guessing, the the weak spots on Michigan's team this season. We saw in the first half against Penn State, uh, J.J. just not really have a whole lot of time uh, to sit back in the pocket. And that might be one of the major, if not the major, contributing factor as to why he did not officially attempt to pass in the second half. So where do we stand on the Michigan offensive line and giving JJ a clean pocket, uh, especially if he is not 100% and able to move and, and scramble and extend plays so that he can find somebody open down the field. You know, we've gotten used to such a high standard for Michigan's offensive line. They, they won the Joe Moore award in back-to-back seasons and really have been the, the backbone of the team the last two years. This year's offensive line has, has been has been good. I mean, even maybe very good, especially on the interior. I mean, I, I think the guards and, and the center, Drake Nugent, Trevor Keegan, Zach Center, um, that's a really solid interior offensive line. But the tackle spots, I think, have been more of a question mark. Um, and right tackle in particular has been a weakness, uh, you know, really throughout the season, but but especially the last couple of weeks. Uh, Carson Barnard had a had a tough game against Penn State, and I, nobody was freaking out about that. Um, yeah, it it guys mentioned that they couldn't hear the cadence in the stadium, so there were a couple times that Penn State just beat Michigan off the snap, uh, and obviously it'll be a different different setting on Saturday at Michigan Stadium. And also, I think uh, you know I, Penn State is of all the the teams that Michigan is going to face this year, Penn state is the team in the big 10 that is going to pressure the quarterback more than any other. Uh, And, you know, you would know probably better than I about Ohio state and um, how consistently they've been able to get pressure on the quarterback, but at least the sack numbers uh, for Ohio state are not, not the same as for Penn state. But I do think that it is a big, really on both sides, going to be a big uh, deciding factor in this game in terms of, which offensive line is able to keep the quarterback clean uh, and which defense is able to get pressure with, with four. I think that's what Michigan is going to want to do and probably feels like they can do. And I think Ohio state probably, probably feels the same way. Yeah. The, this has been the, the, the case for a number of years for the Buckeyes, but especially this year, the pressure numbers are much higher than the actual sacks or even tackles for loss number. And, uh, Ohio State has been increasingly getting more pressure and getting to the quarterback a little bit more in recent weeks with Jack Sawyer fi- finally kind of looking and feeling comfortable at a defensive end position. But you're right that they they do not get home nearly as much as either the fans or the coaching staff likely would like them to. Um, but going on to that side of the ball where uh, uh, Michigan is going to try to be pressuring Kyle McCord, Ohio State's offensive line, not dissimilar perhaps from Michigan's, is probably one of the weakest spots, uh, especially uh, at different points where they've got young starters there. I don't think that this Michigan defensive line is nearly as good as it has been in in a number of years, especially you know in 2021. But 
are they still able to kind of change the game on their own if they are only bringing four, if they aren't getting added pressure either from linebackers or corners, putting a little bit extra pressure with blitzes on quarterbacks? Well, this Michigan defensive line uh, on the edge is not as dynamic as it was yeah. two years ago. You, you're completely right. There's there's no guy on the edge that's going to be drafted number two overall on this on this team. <laughs> Thank goodness. That, yeah. 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 Right. I, I think. Um, you know, I think that this edge group for Michigan is is maybe a, a step above where it was last year and probably like two steps below where it was two years ago. And I, I think that a lot of it is going to come down to uh, can that edge group elevate its level of play and take advantage of of a matchup that appears on paper to be favorable for Michigan. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody else this week and said, you know, if there's a guy from Michigan that I think maybe it's not like a household name, but could have a really big game. It would be a guy like Braden McGregor, who, you know, had basically his whole career, he's had the comparisons to Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, you know, they just look similar, similar body types. You know, Braden's had some really good moments in his career, but obviously has not had the production that Aiden had. Uh, but if there's a game where he could elevate himself maybe to that level, it could be this game. Because I, I think that there is a favorable matchup there Michigan but if Michigan is not able to get pressure with their front four um, and not able to generate some interior pressure because I think that's one area where Michigan's defense is better than it's been is with the interior defensive line uh, if if those guys can't get pressure then I think it becomes it becomes a long day for Michigan if you have to bring extra rushers because um, the the weapons that Ohio State has uh, on offense you know it's you, it's hard to find an answer for all of those guys especially if you're having to bring extra pass rushers to get pressure on the quarterback. Speaking of some of those offensive weapons that Ohio State has, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., either because of his name or uh, especially the increased production he's having in the back half of the season, has become kind of a, a Heisman Trophy finalist contender. I don't know that he's actually a contender for the, to win the award, but uh, a lot of teams have tried to focus on him by bracketing him, throwing multiple guys at him. Michigan does have what I would consider an elite cornerback. Corner Are we going to throw just Will Johnson on him or what to go one-on-one? -on -one? Do we expect that the Michigan defensive staff will try to do some more creative things at him? Where do you expect the defense to kind of land in terms of defending, you know, I think inarguably who the best offensive player and offensive weapon is for the Buckeyes on Saturday? I do expect Michigan to change it up. This this Michigan defense is pretty, pretty versatile, pretty, pretty multiple. And uh, they rarely will just kind of sit in one thing for an entire game. And I think with a, you know, with a player like Harrison, you, you have to be able to do that. I don't I don't think you can just I don't think you can just go into it saying you're going to put your best guy on him and, and cover him one on one for the whole game. But but I also do think that that's going to be part of the plan. Uh, I look back last year and I mean, Despite the score, uh, Ohio State had success, you know, throwing to, to Harrison and, and to Ibuka. Uh, but Will Johnson, when he was matched up with Harrison, did a nice job in the game last year. I would expect to see a lot of that matchup for Michigan with some changeups thrown in there and then just have to see how it goes. You know, who's who's winning that matchup as the game goes along? Um, I think that, that that matchup is a big key, Will Johnson and, and Marvin Harrison.
moving away from the actual on-field stuff, obviously there's been an unbelievable amount of conversation uh, about this game and everything else that's going around, going on around the Michigan program over the past month. Where is the program, the players, the coaches, and I guess if we want to dive into that, the fan base in terms of this game? Because I know uh, Jim Harbaugh was asked about kind of his thoughts on Ryan Day yesterday, and he hemmed and hawed around it like I think Ryan Day would do the same if he was asked. But going into the rivalry game after everything that's happened over the past month, where is the mindset for the program coming into a game that even without all of the the hullabaloo and scandals and everything would still be potentially one of the biggest games in either program's history. Yeah. I mean, I, I can probably speak to the mindset of, of the fans more than anybody because I, sure. I hear from them more directly. Uh, I can tell you they're, I mean, I, they're kind of losing it almost like this, this month has just for everybody been like really disorienting, like for the fans, for, for the players, for the coaches, for even those of us who cover the team, like there's just been, it's been constant. It's really, I mean, it's really easy to lose your bearings and just all of the stuff that's come out and, you know, rumors and theories and like, you know, you spend five minutes on Twitter and you'll see, you know, all of the different things that are, <laughs> yeah. are being thrown back and forth between these two fan bases. Uh, and so I think the challenge for the team is to just, when it's time to play the game, just take all of that out of it. I mean, I imagine that's a hard thing to do, but it's also something that this Michigan team has done really well. And honestly, last week against Maryland was really the first time I even wondered, like, is this team starting to feel the weight of, of everything that's been swirling around the program? And so I, I don't know exactly how they're going to respond on Saturday if, if they're going to look like um, a team that, just has, you know, spent the last month in the spotlight and, and is starting to feel the the strain of that, or if they're going to come out and I wouldn't be shocked if Michigan comes out and plays its best game of the year. I mean, they've done that the last two years. Um, But I just think there's more unknowns for Michigan going into this game than there are for Ohio state. A lot more things that if Michigan wins, they're going to have to overcome a lot of things that are in their path. Whereas for Ohio State, that's it's not the same thing. It feels like Ohio State is coming into this game yeah. just a lot clearer focus. Yeah, I mean, I think that would probably be true for any team that Michigan was playing this week that they would have less to kind of wade through uh, to get to a to to kick off than the Wolverines are right now because they obviously have uh, just kind of an absurd level of not only actual news but like you were talking about everything from theories and conspiracy theories to uh, uh, just random trash talking between fans. And we certainly see it on our end uh, as well. Do you, do you, are you, have you been able to get a sense as to what the status of any investigations, obviously we're just looking at the NCAA, NCAA investigation is right now. Like, has there even been any word as to where they stand in that? Is it do they does does the program feel comfortable with what's happened so far that that's going to be it, or, do, or are they are they expecting another shoe to drop? Do they have any idea as to what is coming down the pike from the NCAA? Well, all the indications are that the NCAA is is moving rapidly on the investigation. Now, rapid in NCAA terms, 
may not be by 2030. Drafted. Yeah. <laughs> right. In, in anybody else's mind. Uh, but in one of the one of the letters that was sent from Michigan to the Big Ten, Ward Manuel indicated that at least the NCAA had had told Michigan that they wanted to have the investigation done this fall. Uh, so I think it is moving faster than a typical NCAA investigation would, in part because a lot of this information, I think, came to the NCAA really uh, almost like, um, you know, in one kind of neat package, right? The NCAA didn't have to go out and investigate this from from scratch. It's at least as we understand it. You know, a lot of the NCAA has a lot of the information that it needs to move forward. And it's just a matter of now what what else comes out as as the NCAA continues to gather more information. Um, I mean, I, you know, obviously I, I don't have any inside information in terms of what's going to happen. Um, but just look at the fact that Jim Harbaugh missed half of this season already. Um, three games that Michigan imposed to start the season as a result of a previous NCAA investigation, and then three games that the Big Ten imposed as a result of uh, the violations of the sportsmanship policy. And so what's still unresolved there is, number one, uh, the NCAA still could pursue additional sanctions on Jim Harbaugh or Michigan from the previous NCAA investigation because they weren't able to resolve that before the season. And then whatever the NCAA is going to try to tack on for uh, for the in-person scouting allegations, which I do, ex I expect the NCAA to uh, to try to continue to push for more. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that the Big Ten suspension is is the only um, punishment that we're going to see or or that the NCAA will just sort of take that and be satisfied with it. So what that means for Jim Harbaugh, I think, is is really hard to say. And and again, we don't even know, will Jim Harbaugh be the coach at Michigan next year? That's a question we seem to ask every offseason. And I think it's an especially relevant question this year, because if he is back, certainly there's the possibility that, that he'll have additional uh, suspensions or sanctions of some sort coming out of these NCAA investigations. I, I know that you are far too principled uh, of a journalist to kind of dive into predictions. But what I'm going to ask instead is you talked about how kind of heightened the fervor from the fan base has been. Has there been one of these conspiracy theories or Twitter threads or Reddit threads that you've just enjoyed personally reading more than any other? Not asking like, do you think it's actually real? But has there been anything that's just, you've read it and you just kind of like, chuckled in a good natured way that like, oh, that's funny. And that's actually really good. And uh, whoever wrote that props to them because they've got a they've got a future in a, in fiction writing or anything like that. Well, certainly, certainly the uh, the lawyers in the Michigan fan base have come up with some really innovative legal <laughs> theories. And I have to give them credit like they they really have put in the time and some of them are you know, genuinely entertaining to read. I, mean, I to me, the question of how all this started is is an interesting question that you know I'd I'd like to know. Um, yeah. And I, that seems you know, like I, an actual newsworthy point of this, right? Exactly. Like I, you know, I mean, there's there's one sense where you say, you know, it really doesn't matter where it came from or how it started. Uh, the fact is that it it seems pretty clear that that there's evidence to back up the allegations, and that's the primary focus. And I, I think that that's I think that that's right. Uh, but I also think the question of how this all started is an interesting one. And, and, you know, the reporting in the Washington post that, that there was a, a third party uh, investigation that, 
that brought some of this information to the NCAA. I mean, I, I thought that was fascinating. I'm not aware of like a, you know, another similar case there might be, but you know, again, I, I think it's all interesting and I certainly, you know, just in my own curiosity would like to know the answer. Uh, but I also know, you know, right now um, there's a lot of theories out there that, that just aren't, you know, aren't supported by the facts. And so we'll just keep trying to follow it wherever it goes. And we may never know the answer. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if that'll come out. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, but it's certainly been a, certainly been a wild thing to follow because it seems like every day there's, there's a new theory or a, a new, uh, a new piece of information out there that just, you know, adds another layer to this whole story. Yeah. The, the book or the the oral history of this whole thing that comes out in 10 years or whatever is going to be fascinating and people are going to be able to, to kind of pull back some of the curtains on that. Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up here with just a, a couple of real quick short questions. I, I think that, and I think you mentioned this in, in one of your recent articles, and I think a lot of Ohio State folks have been talking about this as well. We're looking, I believe this is year nine of Jim Harbaugh's tenure in Ann Arbor. It's not exactly the 10-year war between Woody and Bo, but it's not dissimilar in in terms of like, especially with the last few years, um, and kind of the matchups between the two programs. But one of the major differences are that Woody and Bo obviously had a pre-existing relationship, but they remained close friends, maybe not as much during the 10-year war and when they were coaching against each other, but certainly afterwards. There is clearly no love loss between Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh. Do you think that that is a positive for the Michigan team? Uh, do you think that that gives them a little bit more motivation with all of these rumors that have been swirling and, and people, you know, you didn't say it, you did the journalistic thing. I don't have to do that. Uh, people pointing to Ryan Day as maybe the start of this whole thing and bringing up potential Rico charges and all of that. Like, do you think that that has a material impact on the way that the team approaches this rivalry game? I personally don't think it's like good for anybody, good for the rivalry or good for the players or good for the fans. I mean, one of the things when I started this job and, and moved to Ann Arbor and started to get familiar with the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry and also the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry, yeah. uh, one thing that I really appreciated about the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry was the fact that even though those two teams like really hated each other's guts, it seemed like there was an underlying respect uh, that they regarded each other as, as equals. And, you know, and at some level had to sort of acknowledge um, mm -hmm. the, you know, the validity of the other as a rival. And I mean, I think there's still some of that, especially from the players. Like when we talked to the players this week, I think, I heard a lot of players, Michigan players, say, like, look, you got to acknowledge, like, this is a good Ohio State team. They're 11 and 0. You've got great players, and great players respect other great players. But sure. to your point, I'm, I'm not sure that that extends to the coaches right now. Uh, and I think a lot of times the fans of both teams really take their cues from, from the coaches. And so I don't, I, you know, I, I can't tell you that I feel like it's a good direction for the rivalry to continue down this path. I think it would probably help everybody for cooler heads to prevail a little bit. Uh, but there's just a lot of, you know, they didn't get here in one day. It's It's been a lot of build up to this and um, it certainly adds to the intensity. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. I, I think that 
whether you want to say it's the most anticipated or the most emotional or whatever, I think that this game on Saturday is definitely one for whatever type of record book you want to put it in, beside the fact that they are, again, number two and number three in the country. Uh, it should be a, by a fevered pitch by the time we hit noon on Saturday. Um, but I'll wrap it up here, and this is kind of a, a two sides of one coin question. If Ohio State is going to win the rivalry game for the first time since 2019, what is it do you think that they have to do? And then conversely, if Michigan is going to win for the third straight year, what is the one single thing that you think they have to do to make sure that they end up with a Big Ten East championship? Yeah. You know, I think probably the thing that Ohio State has to do to win this game is basically to not let Michigan do what what Michigan will will tend to want to do in a game like this, which is just to be able to win by running the ball. Michigan did that against Penn State. They did that to varying degrees against Ohio State the last two years. I mean, part of last year's game was that Michigan initially was able to hit some big plays through the air, which then opened up the running game. But all things being equal, I even though Michigan's been more balanced this year, I think what Michigan deep down would really want to do is be able to just run the ball down Ohio State's throat. And I think Ohio State's going to have to make uh, going to have to make JJ McCarthy be a passer as he was last year uh, in that game. Um, for Michigan, I think one thing that, that Michigan has to do, uh, I think Michigan has to get, has to get pressure on Kyle McCord. I, I think that that, that to me looks like the formula uh, for Michigan to be able to win this game, because I think Kyle McCord is the kind of quarterback who, if you give him time and if he's comfortable, has so many weapons around him that it's going to be really hard for Michigan to to defend all of those guys with a quarterback who who is just sitting in a clean pocket. But I also think a game of this magnitude for Kyle McCord's first start in the rivalry, Michigan can can get some pressure on him, get him uncomfortable, then that that could be the formula for for Michigan to neutralize some of the playmakers that Ohio State has. So now I expect it to be a, a really close and competitive game. I mean I thought that the last two years and it hasn't been at least in the fourth quarter, but, but at least going into it, it looks like two, um, two really evenly matched teams. And I, I think it should be a really, um, a really a close and a hard fought game. Yeah. All right. Very last question. I won't ask you to give us a score prediction, although you are welcome to, if you would like, but you said you thought it was going to be close. So do you think that that is a high teens, low twenties close? Is it a, high 20s low 30s close or is it something completely different where are you at least putting the ballpark for where these two teams will be when the fourth quarter ends on saturday yeah i you know i've gone back and forth a million times about who i think is going to win this game i uh, i finally settled on i think i said michigan 34 31 but i have like zero confidence in any part of that <laughs> prediction I mean, it felt like a really high score to pick yeah. in a game with two defenses that have been two of the best defenses in the country. And uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that there will be that many points on the board. But I do think probably for both of, of these defenses, the defensive numbers have, have been inflated by the fact that there just aren't. There it's aren't a bad, bad Big Ten. Teams, yeah, <laughs> that are going to really test either of these defenses. And I thought last week for Michigan was kind of telling when they finally faced a quarterback and a, a passing game for Maryland that was like competent and 
Uh, it's not like Michigan just got shredded, but they gave up some things in that game that they haven't given up all season. And, and I think the same might be true for Ohio State and that this will be clearly the best offense that they've faced all season. And so I won't be surprised if both of these teams put more points on the board than, than what we've seen from either of them, either defense um, all season. Yeah, I the, the having both teams in the 30s, I think I don't know that I would have guessed that, but it's certainly possible. And I think you're right. I, I, I was looking at some of the numbers yesterday and kind of like just thinking about how good these two defenses are. They are the top two scoring defenses in the country statistically, but I'm not 100% sure that that's actually true just because of who they've played this year. They have not necessarily gone up against uh, teams that have been incredibly high quality. I think the the teams that they've played against have been like in the low 70s and, and high 80s in terms of like the average scoring offense. So it, it's not like they've been playing quality offensive opponents all season. But anyway, Austin, in, enjoy the game on, on Saturday. Maybe take like a helmet and a flak jacket if you're going to be walking around the stadium because... Good advice. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I, I know Ohio State's like bringing extra police officers with them just just in case. So stay safe. Uh, we don't need anything crazy happening, especially to the media members uh, who have no part in all of that. But have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the game. And I'm sure uh, it'll be it'll be one to put as a nice culminating chapter in whatever nonfiction book happens in 10 years or so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. Have a great Thanksgiving. I, I appreciate it.